This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Thanks, Eugene. Hi, everybody. I see the divermeerdering van die mense het plaasgevind. Gewoonlik so net so tien voor ses, en so meteen nog niemand nie, en as jy klaar gewoorship is, is die plek vol. So, is goed om dit te sien. Ok, I'll continue in English tonight, with a couple of smatterings of Afrikaans in between. Ok. Ok, it's uh, been a while since I've been here, pre-lockdown, so uh, it's really great to be back. It's my first time here with you guys in Paul Rusa. It's great to see you that you found a new home here and uh, heard some great things about what God is doing in your midst. So I'm very privileged tonight and honored to be in your midst and uh, trust the Lord that as we, as we get into the word that uh, uh, you will see things about God and uh, some things that you already know, but I'm also trusting the Lord for you know, just a renewing of our minds, and uh, as I'm continuously, as I spend time with the Lord, I realize that there's, there's things that are, the way that I think about God, that it might not be as accurate as, as it could be, and I'm continuously on a quest to, uh, to know the scriptures and to find God in, in them, and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, to really come to know the heart of God. Amen? Okay, so tonight uh, I got into this topic, I, I was invited to, to teach through the book of John and uh, in my studies I, I found that a lot of the stuff that Jesus said, the I am sayings of Jesus in, in John, the seven I am saying, the self-revelation of Jesus, um, it, it, came, it came to my mind and all of a sudden I've been, I've been reading the Bible for a long time and we led a Bible schools. So I've taught at Bible schools. But you know, sometimes when you read something in the Bible and it just jumps out, and the word feast just jumped out. And, uh, and as I was meditating on, on that, um, I just started reading. And who of you have found that when you, when you find something that sort of jumps out, then everywhere in the Bible where you read it, it's there. It's almost like it's been written in there just now. Because it's like you never saw it before and all of a sudden, it's the only thing that you can almost see in the Bible. And... For me, it was the issue of feasts. And uh, please, I've I've got to make a couple of disclaimers. Firstly, if I cough tonight, I don't have COVID. I had myself tested. I just had an upper respiratory tract infection. So you don't have to do this if I I cough. Okay, the second one is that... um, Now, I can't remember the second one. My wife told me I shouldn't tell jokes. I get distracted. (laughs) Okay. So, as I was, the second disclaimer, there I've got it again. The second disclaimer is that as I'm talking about, as I'm going to mention feasts tonight, I'm not advocating that the church should go back to keeping the biblical feasts uh, in any form or shape, whether that's commemorative or whatever. I don't have a problem if you do, Paul says he doesn't keep them, but he doesn't judge people who do. So, this is not to sort of advocate that we should go back to, um, to keeping feasts. But I did realize something about the heart of God, is that, you know, God could have easily said, you know, uh, I want you to gather and I want you to have convocations and I want you to have conferences, 
But God, when He spoke to His people, He started and went in back in Leviticus already. He said that, you know, I want, there's seven times a year that I want you guys to feast. Not just gather, not come together for Bible study, but to feast. And I, and I was wondering why would God talk about feasts when we, it's so easy to talk about gatherings, you know. And it wasn't like once a year, it was like, Seven times a year. You know, we, 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 who, who of you like a good feast? I mean, who of you are thinking about Christmas Day, you know, that table? I know in our house, my wife is, it's almost Christmas and we haven't talked about what we're going to eat. And it's usually a feast. We usually tell each other on Christmas Day when we overfeasted, we tell ourselves we're not going to do this again. And lo and behold, the 25th of next year, there we are again. A table groaning with food and we once again eat too much. Anybody there? So, and I want to say to you that around the slubber table, we are, we love to laugh and joke a lot and we love music and my daughters love dancing. I like the idea of dancing. Um, <laughs> but I've got to decide, you know, even in worship, yes, just a little, before the worship and when the beat comes, I've got to decide, hands or feet. I can't do both. I've got to decide. You either clap your hands or you stamp your feet, but you can't do both. Okay, so, but we love a good feast. We love a good party, and, uh, but I, I grew up in a house where Sunday mornings, and please don't, please don't play this, this, uh, this sermon to my mom, and, but Sunday mornings were quite somber. You know, because I, and I'm not blaming a church, it, it was just our experience, it was just the way that, that we were sort of taught the way that God is, and I remember Sunday mornings were, were usually a very somber time in our house, it, it was quiet, you know, the rest of the week was sort of noisy and music with words playing, but on Sunday mornings, no words, only classical music, if you love classical music, bless your heart, but... You know, I don't know whether it was Sunday mornings that ruined classical music or classical music that ruined Sunday mornings for me, but something bad happened there and, you know, and then we went to church and everything was somber and quiet and we were told and then after Sunday lunch, you know, your parents always want to go and sleep, anybody? And you're not allowed to swim because you'll get cramps and, and drown. I figured out, no, you just want to go and sleep so you can't babysit us, so... And, and then you would go, and you had to be quiet. And usually I got the most hidings on Sunday afternoons because I wasn't quiet. So I made this connotation, and, and then I heard, Gedenk die Sabbadag dat jy dit heilig. And I think I made those connections. And for me, I really didn't see the Sabbath as one of the feasts, because I also realized afterwards when I studied the Word of God that the Sabbath is actually a feast. It's not just a rest day, it's a feast. It's something, it's a gift from God to His people to rest. But in my mind, I never, it never conjured up pictures of a feast. It wasn't a feast, it wasn't a party, it was somber, it was stoic, it was very serious and gewaid. And inevitably, I thought, whenever God calls his people together, that's the way that we should be, you know. 
quiet. And, and, and I love the moments when God quiets us and we become very quiet in, in reverence. I love those moments. But I sometimes wonder if we have lost our ability to really feast. You know, when, when people go to, I know none of you go to rock festivals, I, I know that. But your friends that do, okay? They never somber at those parties. You know, they come back and they are partied out. And as I started reading about the feasts, and especially the Feast of Tabernacles, as I started reading, it's a seven-day feast, day and night, that involves feasting and eating and dancing and singing. And, and people couldn't just do it at their houses. Every, every year they had to leave their farms and their businesses and they had to travel up to Jerusalem. They had to present themselves at the temple. And it was a procession. They even had songs that they sang on the way. As they went up, they sang the songs of ascent. It Psalms as 130 onwards. They sang the songs of ascent. That, and it, it was the songs of anticipation that we are going to celebrate with our brothers and sisters that God brought us out of Egypt. He, he, he looked after us in the wilderness and He brought us to the promised land. And it was a cele an absolute celebration. And they had to do it every year. It started on a Sabbath and it ended with a Sabbath. It started with rest and it ended with rest. And there was a lot of, you know, people didn't have cars, they didn't have airplanes, so they walked with their donkeys and, and their families and they met up with other families. And as they were going up, you know, they weren't actually at the festival, but they were already celebrating. And, and I asked myself the question, as we, as, and I, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, I asked this question of myself. I said, Jan... If you go together with God's people, is, that is, in, is there a feast in your heart? Or is it just duty and is it just stoic reverence that equates to silence? Or even humility that is equated to silence? And I want to read a portion of scripture. Proverbs 13 verse 15. And it says this, all the days... Of the desponding, all the afflicted are bad. And the, the classic amplified says the following, All the days of the desponding and afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and forebodings. In other words, bad things that are going to happen. But he who has a glad heart has a continual feast. Regardless of circumstances. And I mean, we are living in times that our circumstances are, are screaming and we don't know what the next regulation is going to be and we don't know what's going to happen next year. This is so liberating for me because people ask me, Jan, when are you going to Taiwan? And I say, I don't know. The rest of the world also doesn't know what's happening next year. So nobody knows. Isn't that liberating? And... And I read this and it says, All the days of the desponding and the afflicted are made evil by anxious thoughts and foreboding, but he who has a glad heart has a continual feast, regardless of circumstances. And I believe that the Lord is calling his people to feast. In a world that is, that has to look to alcohol, that has to look to drugs, that have to look to other things, promiscuity, to have pleasure in feasting. The Lord says, come on, show the world that you have a joy inside of you that is above 
they are companions. I'm going to read, I don't have that scripture on here, but I want to read from Hebrews chapter 1. And from verse 8. But the Son, of the Son, of Jesus, He says, this is the Father, says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. So in this feasting, you know, because I, I, I speak to some people and it's almost like, yeah, but you must be careful that you don't tell people that they should be too happy serving Jesus, lest people think that you're not serious. I want to say to you that we can serve God with absolute joy and be absolutely serious and have a, a feast while we're doing it and let the world see that there is oil of gladness upon us that is beyond our companions. I believe that is what would set us apart in this world where a lot of people are depressed right now, where a lot of people are very anxious about their future. And here it says, if we love righteousness, if we hate wickedness, then Jesus, because He loved righteousness and He hated wickedness, the Father anointed Him with the oil of gladness above and beyond his companions. In other words, it was so noticeable that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness beyond his companions. Now, does that mean that Jesus laughed all the time? No. Jesus, there were times when he, he, he was grieved by the, the fact that, that the people that, that he came for wanted to reject him. He was grieved by that. But above all, he was anointed with the oil of gladness far above his companions. And it says, but a glad heart has a continual feast. A continual feast. So I want to I wanna submit this to you, and I really want you to go and search the Scriptures to see whether you find a God that is interested in the feasting of his people. And it's interesting, it's only one of the feasts that was really a, a quiet feast. All of the other feasts were noisy, Lots of food, lots of dancing, lots of singing. In, the, in one of the ceremonies at the Feast of Tabernacle, in the women, in the forecourt of the women, they would have like a 70 foot long pole. And on top of that pole, there were four, four holders with oil. And one of the priests would put a ladder up there and they would light up the whole forecourt of the women, of the women in, in, in Jerusalem. And the women and the children... And the people would sit around like in an amphitheater. And as that thing was lit, in that, mo in that the pious men, it called the pious men, the holy men, the priests, would come in and they would dance and sing and cheer and jump for joy. And I asked myself, Jan, when you are gathered, are you gathered festively or are you gathered morosely? Then I went, maybe... Maybe, you know, and then I went to, to Hebrews chapter 12, and it speaks of you have now, 12 verse 22, it says, you have now come to Mount Zion. Zion, you have now come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You have now come to numerous, innumerable angels. And how are they gathered? In festal gathering. I want to say to you right now, 
in the heavenlies around the throne of God is a festive atmosphere. The Afrikaans translation says, Engele in feestelike bijeenkomst. And I ask myself, Jan, in your own household, het jy a feestelike bijeenkomst? In your home groups, in your small groups, in your life groups, whatever you call them around you, when you come together, if people would look in on our gatherings, would they see a festive gathering? When they come, when unbelievers come into this door, when, you start, when we start worshipping, would they find a people that feast, that absolutely throw themselves at God, that absolutely abandons themselves at the pleasure of seeing the King of Kings? And I believe God has called us to be a feasting people. Not once a year, but to have a continual feast because that gladness of heart comes through loving righteousness and hating wickedness and, and being obedient. I want to say to you, one of the greatest sources of joy that you can have is to be obedient to God. Now, I'm not talking about the intention to be obedient because I want to tell you there's a lot of anxiety in the in the contemplating whether I will be obedient. But because while you are still counting the cost, there is the anxiety, what will happen if I obey? What is the price that I will have to pay? What is the sacrifice? But I want to say to you that as soon as you have that conviction and you actually obey, that is the greatest source of joy and peace in the kingdom that you have just by faith. You have just by faith surrendered your own will and your own ideas to the King of Kings and obey Him. And all of a sudden, what will happen after this doesn't matter anymore because you have obeyed Him. And that I want to say to you, while you're thinking about it, it's not the greatest joy. I want to tell you when people think, tell me, Jan, uh, what's your plan for the one? You know, how are you going to make it? I don't really know. And I, want to, I wish I could say that I walk in continual peace on this. I don't. But I know the day that I set foot on Taiwanese soil, I want to say to you, when I obey God, I know the greatest amount of peace and joy and gladness will fall my heart that is not dependent on my circumstances. And so I do believe that it, it's not, well, we will feast when the victory is there. Psalm 23 says that the Lord prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. But you need to come to the table. God, this, this is the heart of God, that God is a God that wants us to feast on Him. He prepares even in the presence of our enemies. He comes and He prepares a table for you. But you need to come to the table. God can prepare everything for you, but if you do not come to the feast, and if you do not partake of the feast, if you do not arrive at the feast, if you do not come with expectation to the feast, I want to say to you that you will look upon the feast and not enjoy the feast. The thing that the table that the Lord prepares in the presence of our enemy, also when you take your place at the table, the enemy knows whose side you're on. Jesus talks about this. In Matthew 22. And here, I want us, I wish I could spend more time just cementing this thing that God is truly a God that wants 
His people to be a feasting, celebrating people. It does not mean that there's not repentance, that there's not times of tears and godly sorrow. But even godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life, which is once again something to celebrate. You know, even if we come with deep godly sorrow and we repent, and with tears and grieving repent, what happens? Your sins get forgiven. You get cleansed of unrighteousness. What you could not do by yourself, all of a sudden, you receive this gracious gift from God and He turns your sorrows into joy. I, I, I believe repentance that is, not, that is not followed by rejoicing. I wonder if you really realize what happened. And here Jesus speaks to the religious leaders in parables and he said the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son now immediately you don't have to be like a rocket sign to to figure out the king is god is the father the wedding feast is the wedding supper of the lamb for us and uh, the son his son but in this case when jesus spoke these words he spoke about the fact that there was a king that prepared a feast and the people didn't want to come and he was actually addressing Israel. He was addressing Israel that he promised that he would send a Messiah, but when the Messiah came, they rejected him. But sure, we can also glean stuff from this for us. And he sent his servant to call those who were invited to a wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. Those are the people that killed them. Incidentally, not the guys that just went to business. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in and looked at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he told him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendant, Bind him hand and foot and cast him out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now in Luke 14 there's another parable of a great banquet. And Jesus said in verse 12, He also said to the man who had invited them, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the, at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to them, a, man's one gave, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent to his servant to say that those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Again, 
So the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done and there is still room. And the master said to his servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Now I've read these fairly long portions of scripture because I, I want to hear that Jesus says continuously the same thing. And he speaks about a king. He speaks about a man that, that prepares a feast. Now it's interesting in those times if, if, if I wanted to hold a feast and I wanted to invite you. I would announce, I would give you an announcement. I plan to hold a feast. Who of you will be able to come? Based on that RSVP, I would then make preparations. If there was 100 people that would come, I would prepare for 100 people. If there were 500, I would prepare. And when I have prepared well and I'm now ready, I would send a second invitation and say, okay, now come. The feast is ready. Okay, so when Jesus spoke to Israel, there was an announcement that a Messiah would come, but when the Messiah physically came, they rejected him. They did not come to this banqueting. They did not come to this feast that would this feast that they would be set free. Actually, the fulfillment of the Passover of one of the feasts. So, what does that mean for us? As you as you read these stories and as you read little nuances into the story, you will see that there is a king that prepared a banquet. He prepared a banquet. And that is what I believe that God prepares for us. Even in salvation, he prepared Jesus Christ. We didn't do anything. We didn't contribute to the banquet. It was not a bring and bride. This was a king that he prepared everything. And all that he asked of the guests, would you want to come? And they said, yes, we want to come. But when the time came, when they had to come, they had all kinds of excuses. Firstly, there were people in the first parable, there were people that rejected it. There were people that said, we're not interested. And I think that we'll always have that. I think they'll always, if we invite people to this great banqueting feast, whom Jesus, whom Jesus is to us really, there will always be people that said, you know, I'm not interested. There will be even people that ridicule you. Luckily, they won't kill you in this country. But I want to say to you that there are countries in which they will kill you if you try to invite people to this beautiful feast. They will get killed. But I want to say to you that there is a master, there is a king that prepares everything meticulously and abundantly for us. Jesus doesn't cause us, he doesn't sort of upgrade us from snacks to a feast. No, right from the outgo, he says, come to a feast. I want to say to you tonight, if you are here and maybe you have been in the house of God and maybe you have banqueted with him, but you have walked away like a prodigal son. You know, when I read that, what did the father do? What did the father do when he saw his son? He ran towards him. And what did he do? He sent him for a couple of counseling sessions so the boy can understand that he messed up. No, he had a feast. He had a feast. He prepared for the one that did not, 
deserved the feast. In fact, in the eyes of the in the eyes of the son, said, "I am not worthy to be called his son. I I can if I can only be a servant in my father's house. I'm not worthy." But the father didn't even listen to him. The father didn't go into a, a discourse with him. He says, "My son, you are dead. You're alive. We're going to party." Now, for some people, that is no, no, no. Wait, young. This guy needs to understand what he did wrong. I want to tell you that young man was on the road back. He w- he went a long way from home. That means he had a long way back. Do you think that he did not think about what he did wrong? He had his whole speech prepared. How much he realized, how much he messed up. And the father embraced him, and the father said, "Let's have a feast." And I want to say to you tonight, even if you feel far, the Lord says to you, "Come near." There's a feast. You were dead. I thought you were dead, but you're alive. Let's feast. Every son. It says that heaven rejoices over every sinner that comes to repentance. Do you believe? Do you know that you know, everywhere, somewhere in the world, even in this dark world, there is someone, somewhere, a sinner coming to repentance. And every time that a sinner comes to repentance, all of heaven rejoices. I want to say to you that heaven is ready to rejoice at at, at your repentance, at a sinner's repentance. The angels are come, on, come, on, come. On. Yes. You know, it's funny for me, South African men especially. They don't dance and sing until they go to a rugby match. You know, I was at the World Cup last year when we won in Japan. I had nowhere to watch it, so I was in a, a restaurant, not a pub. It was a restaurant in Cape Town. And I watched the World Cup with people that I didn't know from a bar of soap. They were South Africans. I figured that much. They had rugby jerseys on. They were of all nations, all all ethnic groups, and all of a sudden, for a moment, we were united in purpose. But we were not joyful yet. We were nervous. But I want to tell you when when Cheslin Colby stepped, what's that guy's name again? Farrell, and scored the winning try. And we know, we knew, and realized that we can't lose this World Cup. I want to tell you that people that didn't know one another from a bar of soap, even the waiters and the waitresses started making conga lines in primi, and we were singing shoshaloza, and all the white people could only sing shoshaloza because they don't know the other words. But everybody was getting in on the show. Nobody rehearsed it. They didn't tell us beforehand. You got to practice this now. And when this moment happened, no, there was a spontaneous. When victory came, there was a spontaneous feast. And I want to tell you that we left only very late that night out of Primi Piate, and there were songs and people that didn't know one another from a bar of soap sat across table from one another and replayed the match. Did you see that? Did you see that? And there was a feast, and I thought. As I was sitting there, it struck me how much is our coming together in situations like this, filled with awe and wonder and expectation that any moment now God is going to show up and do something so amazing that our only response would be outrageous worship. I think we do quite well at the quieting down part. We're really good at that. 
And I think it's because usually it's God that quiets us down. But I don't, I don't know, or let me put it like this. I think we could learn a little bit more about the feasting and the dancing part of being with God and being with one another. This is what God calls us to. If people come into our midst, I mean, this is a partying people. My son got married on the 29th of February just before lockdown. And uh, we had the, the reception in a restaurant in Cape Town. And it was a private party. But, I mean, that was one of the greatest parties. It was, I think it was 1 o'clock in the evening when two guys off the street came in. And they wanted to know, what party is this? Because their party died and it looks like this is where the party is. And uh, we said to them, it's a wedding. And the guy looked around and he said, nobody's drunk. <laughs> he could see that. I thought he just looked at himself. He says, nobody's drunk. I said, yes, we just enjoy ourselves. And he was like, what? <laughs> this guy was baffled. I want to I ask you, you know, when we come together, when we gather together, is gladness so much part that people walking in say, what is this joy? What is this expectation? What is this feasting? When the world around us is falling apart, how can these people feast? Because we have Jesus. Amen. Because we have Jesus. Because we have a high priest that went through the heaven that can sympathize with our every weakness, with all our mess-ups. He sympathizes with us. He empathizes with that. And he says, come, my son, my daughter. And when those that resist the invitation to the feast, the king says, invite everybody. Invite the lame, the crippled, the poor. Invite the people who are not usually invited. Invite them. And then they invited him and told them, compel them to come. Don't give them an easy no. Compel them to come. Now, won't you come with me to church? You know, I've been to church, but you haven't been to this feast. I don't like to call our Sunday services services. I like to call them celebrations. Service sounds like I want to do my car. I don't know about you, I don't get excited. It's not the same thing. A feast and a, and a service, it's... I don't get the same vibe, you know. I don't get the same kind of excitement. I get the same, another kind of dread when I do that. It says, compel them to come. And then they invited those who would come. And it wasn't full. And the master said again, go out now, not only into the city, but go outside of the city. The people that aren't even welcome in our city, bring them. Because I want my house to be full. Yes. That's the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father wants His house full of people feasting. Now will He deal with our issues? He does. Jesus at the feasting table, at the love meal, at the Passover meal, at the agape meal that the early church had, it says that 
that Jesus dealt with some of the issues that his disciples had questions with and he spoke to them. It wasn't like, oh, now we're not, we're not going to talk about stuff that we need to talk about. We're just going to party. No, no, there's a feast. But I want to tell you that there were protocols in the feast. There were things that had to be done in the feast and the people did it by faith and great joy erupted amongst them. Now I'm sure that sometimes there were some people that were going through the rituals at the feast just as when I was in a more traditional church I thought the songs were boring. I thought the songs were traditional until I realized that the only thing traditional was my own heart. And now I can go into any church and I can sing any song that is biblically and that is, that is true to the word of God. I can worship God. I can worship God at the beat of the 11 o'clock news. And have a feast. I believe the Lord has called us to a feast, people. And that doesn't mean that we go light on Christianity. The, the master of this banquet was when the people responded wrongly at the wedding. There was this guy at the wedding feast, and all of a sudden he says, Hey, where's your wedding garment? Because how it worked, uh, especially for those people that weren't rich enough, the poorer people would receive as they come into the banquet, they would have a, a wedding garment. They, they had to take off their own garments or at least put the wedding garment over their garments. And it was a prerequisite from the host that you wear the wedding garments that was provided for you. And Jesus, and here in this parable, the, the, the host of the banquet actually asked this guy, so, hey buddy, where's your wedding garment? How do you get in here without one? And the guy was speechless. Now it either meant that he snuck in, I don't know, but it could also mean that this guy said, I don't like that color, you know, that, I don't like the style. I'm going to come like I am. So it's not like a free-for-all and you do what you want at these feasts. There were even the feasts that God instituted for Israel. There were very specific things and very symbolic stuff and very life-giving stuff in those feasts that reminded them of who God is. So it's not like, I think a lot of people, hey, Jan, you've got to be, you've got to, got to be careful about this feast thing because people might enjoy themselves too much, you know? I believe that we can have these feasts and in holy moments. I, I, I was telling you about that one when the lamps were lit and the, the holy men, the priests came in and they danced and the people cheered and there was shouting that could be heard all through Jerusalem. And then a moment silence and some of the people had, 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 um, had palm leaves and they would hold them up and all of a sudden there would be a quiet that descended on that court and all that you could hear was the, the rushing of the wind through palm leaves. And it would, it would remind them of the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, the wind of God. So it's not be, if there's a feast, there's no reverence. I want to say to you that I think sometimes we can be very quiet and very irreverent. And maybe I want to, I want to close with this and, and maybe say something about humility. I think sometimes we equate quietness with humility. So if you're quiet, then you're humble. I want to say to you that it is true that Jesus, when he was accused, he was quiet. He was humble. Jesus was always humble. Would you agree? Or would you agree or do you think that there were times that Jesus was not humble? Jesus was always humble. When Jesus made the whips and overturned the temple... He was humble. 
Humility has much more to do with obedience to God and surrendering your own will and your own preference and your own thing to what God wants to do. So sometimes, if you are quiet when you should be speaking up, you are proud. Because you are more concerned about what you think and what other people will think about you than what you think what God would be thinking about you. So I think sometimes humility is being quiet. And I think sometimes humility is speaking up when you feel like you're going to die when you do. You see, we, we need to biblically go and look and make sure that the stuff that we have learned is not the doctrines of men, but is truly supported by Scripture. So I want, I want you, and I don't want you to get bogged down in the feast and what, but go and read how much feasting there was. In fact, every seven days, and seven is a huge thing, in the, the number seven in Hebrew is a big thing. It always speaks about fullness. And in fact, God, every seven days, God says, have a feast. We have one party, two parties a year. God says have 52. And then have some more. And in fact, have a continual one. As you love righteousness, as you hate wickedness, it's not an excuse to sin, but boy, have a feast. And I don't know where you are this morning because God also speaks to the people that are actually at the feast, but their hearts are wrong. They're entitled. They think, you know, I should be here. I can be at the head table. And we can be at the feast with a horrible heart. We can be in the house of God. We can be in meetings with a very bad heart. And that's not good either. But we need to come. So we need to come. And we need to know that we can come. Even if we're far away. Even if you're that poor, the lame, the sick, the cripple, the outcast. God says come. Don't try to clean yourself up first. Come, I'll clean you up. Come to the table. Come to the table. There's place for you at the table. Even if you think you lost your place, come back. If you've never had a place, I want to say to you, if you receive Jesus, you've got a place at the table. And you don't work yourself out. There's not a rank. It's not, okay, now, best seats in the house. No, no. Come to the table. There's place for you. Is a place for you. And you can go in confidence with people that you think will not fit into our meetings. And you can go in confidence with tell them, I have a father that has a feast prepared for you. Not a set of rules. Is there a protocol? Yes. Are there values in the house? Of course. Is there issues of sin? Of course. Is there stuff that I need to stop doing? Of course. But that's not the primary concern of the Father. The primary concern of the Father that his house will be full and his house will be a house that feasts, that understand the art of celebration. Don't be afraid. God will receive glory when we feast and we come together and we feast in ways that bring glory to the Father. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.